Hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans. Welcome to the Franco Observer. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy. And we are at the end of 2020. This has been a pretty crazy year for everybody. I know the whole world's changed, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get back to a better place in 2021. Um, This episode is going to be really interesting because on we're doing Vampiros Lesbos, straight off the bat. Uh, this is probably the most famous Jess Franco film. I'd say this, maybe Venus and Furs, but probably this is the most known, uh, the most mainstream commercial film. Maybe not mainstream in terms of how it was made, but the commercial appeal. Uh, more people know this film than know Jess Franco. If you say Jess Franco, they will would look at you if you say Vampiros Lesbos. Oh, I've heard of that. So um, I've kind of waited to do this film. I didn't want to do it right off the bat. We started off episode one, which is kind of cool how this works out. As uh, we did episode one as Count Dracula, which was film 28. And on this, episode 12, we're doing Vampiros Lesbos, which is uh, film 30 of Jess Franco. Um, I am doing this episode via Zoom with a friend and um, fellow thespian, uh, Amber Kloss. Amber is a actress, and uh, she has... Uh, and a big film fan, of course. Um, I'm going to let her tell you all of her credits, but uh, right off the bat, I'm going to say the first film I did was a film called The Last Road to Hell, and that film I made in 2007. And that was the first film I did uh, on on my own. I had done uh, about three films with a filmmaker named Greg Stetchman um, through Burning Grounds Entertainment, and I went out on my own and wrote a script. I was writing a script in the meantime and uh, had some of the crew, took some of the crew and did uh, a film of my own. That was a short film, about 45 minutes long, made in 2007 called The Last Road to Hell. And uh, Amber Kloss is in uh, my first film, The Last Road to Hell, um, as the wife of uh, one of the protagonists of the film. Um, so, yeah, and since that time, she's went on to uh, move to Los Angeles and work in numerous films, uh, television shows. She was in Mad Men, Gossip Girl, um, so many films that I'm going to have her tell you or uh, we'll put in at the end of the episode for um, her plugs because um, it's really cool when you work with somebody and they go on and and do a lot of cool things. So this uh, I'm going to reconnect with her on this episode and we'll be doing Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, she's a big Severn film fan, and um, like I said, a big uh, cult film fan. And uh, we're going to start with this this one with her, and uh, I might do Faceless later on with her. Um, that's going to be down the line, and one of the later episodes, the one of the later works of Jess Franco. So for this one, like I said, this is episode twelve, the end of the year episode. Uh, we're doing Vampiros Lesbos. So I figured a good way to end the year is with one of the most beautiful women that ever lived, Soldad Miranda. Um, she is, like I was saying, one of the most beautiful women that ever lived and one of the most attractive things about the Jess Franco universe, uh, her beauty and her charm. And this, and She Killed an Ecstasy especially, is what one of the key things that made me become obsessive 
about the Jess Franco universe. Uh, she is just so mesmerizing and her charm and beauty. She is, takes on, um, the role of the Countess Karadi in this as just the perfect embodiment of, of what a female vampire should be. Um, so on this one, it is give you all the, um, credits and all that good stuff. Uh, this is Vampiros Lesbos. It's a Spain and West Germany, 1970. Uh, original theatrical title and country of origin is Las Vampiras uh, from Spain, which is the female vampires. The German title is Vampiros Lesbos Erben des Dracula. The German title is Heiress of Dracula, which is cool because she mentions how she got her fortune from Dracula and that she was one of Dracula's lovers. So it's cool they mention that in the title. Uh, the alternative titles for this, the French theatrical, is Vampiros Lesbos, uh, V-A-M-P-I-R-O-S, instead of the V-A-M-P-Y-R-O-S. Uh, the German poster is Vampiros Lesbos, Erben des Dracula. Uh, the Spanish shooting title is El Signo del Vampiro, the sign of the vampire. Uh, the German shooting title is also the sign of the vampire. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Uh, the German shooting title, Bad Times for Vampires and the Mark of the Vampire. Um, a French alter, a French alternate theatrical title of this is Bizarre Sexuality. Sexuality Speciale. The production companies is Phoenix Films from Madrid, CCC Filmkunst out of Berlin, Tillerson Films und Furnishnesmer Production out of Berlin, and the German prints are from Tillerson. Uh, theatrical distributors on this are Exclusivis Falava Distribution out of Barcelona and Cinerama Filmgrossnas MBH out of Munich. Uh, shooting time, the shooting date on this is um, April 27th to June 4th of 1970. Uh, they got the classified title on this in Germany of May 11th of 1971 and it premiered in Germany on July 15th of 1971. I uh, got a certificate for French issued in January 2nd of 73, and it played France finally in September that year, September 26th of 1973, which uh, on a side is about 17 days before I was born. Very cool. Um, and then, uh, let's see, it played Barcelona on January 28th of 74, and then Madrid on May 27th of 1974, and finally in Seville, July 26th of 1974 theatrical running time on this. Germany is 89 minutes, and the Spanish print is 91 minutes. Uh, the Spanish print, of course, is a censored print. The music is different. There's um, less, if no nudity at all, that's clothed. Um, some of this, That's why it's a little bit longer, because the scenes run a little longer. The pacing and such. Scenes are the same, but, uh, but they're clothed instead of nude, so there's a different variety of this, and uh, different different angles and cuts. Uh, let's see, the cast. <clears throat> Soldad Miranda is Countess Nadine Karade. Nadine, which is a cool name, because that's one thing that's always in this film, is the opposites. Like, she's by the body of water, and vampires are not supposed to like water. Instead of having a sexy, alluring name, she's Nadine. <clears throat> uh, U.S. Stromberg plays Linda Westinghouse. Dennis Price plays Dr. Eldon Stewart. Hydran Kusen plays Agra, Dr. Seward's patient. Jose Martinez Blanco plays Melnick, Seward's assistant. Andres Manales plays Omar, Linda's boyfriend. Regular Paul Mueller plays Dr. Steiner, Linda's psychiatrist. 
Michael Berlin plays Morpho, the Countess's manservant. Jess Franco plays Mehmet, the hotel porter. And uncredited, Benny Cardoso, the victim in the wine cellar. Benny Cardoso is a favorite here in the Desperate Visions compound. We had spoke about her in the last few episodes. Uh, we just watched her in downtown and, uh, and, uh, I think she's in slaves and all that. So yeah, it's really cool to see her in this as the victim in the wine cellar. Uh, I watched this on the Severin, uh, Blu-ray and DVD. The DVD release is really good. Um, and also the Blu-ray release is, uh, the German print. And then there's also the Spanish print, uh, which is off of the VHS dub to show the difference in time and structure on the film. Um, like I was saying before, this is probably the most famous Jess Franco film. Production notes. Franco's next cluster of films were bankrolled by another major player in commercial European cinema, Arthur Bronner, whose Berlin-based CCC, Central Cinema Company, had been in operation since the Second World War. Bronner was born in 1918 in Lodz, Poland. During the German invasion of Poland, he escaped with his family to the Soviet Union, staying there until the end of the war, upon which he moved to Berlin. A film buff since childhood, he applied for a film company license in September 1946 and formed CCC. In 1949, he acquired a former manufacturing plant in Spandau, Hasseldorf, Berlin, and established his first studios. Through the 1950s and 60s, the CCC studios were amongst the busiest in Europe, and Browner himself is credited with having produced over 200 features, achieving sustained commercial success with a series of sequels to Fritz Lang's Dr. Mabuse films and a steady stream of Krimis, West German proto-giallo thrillers based on the crime novels of Byron of Brian Edgar Wallace. Franco was introduced to Brauner by Karl Heinz Munchan and swiftly found himself hard at work on a slate of new releases. In many cases, Spanish co-financing was provided thanks to Cooperativa Phoenix Films, a Madrid-based company operated by Arturo Marcos who would go on to support Franco's and several other co-productions during the 70s. Between them, Browner, Manchin, and Marcos would co-produce nine Franco films, beginning with Vampiros Lesbos. A note for Vampiros Lesbos. As befits a film with such a dizzyingly sapphic title, men are largely sidelined, a, a trend that would flourish in Franco's cinema in years to come. Linda's good-looking but frightfully dull boyfriend, Omar, hangs around the edges of the story, looking for a way to help without ever really understanding what's going on, even after Nadine bites him. He's lost a lot of bud, but it's not serious, says Dr. Seward, a poker-faced comic statement that seems to echo Franco's lack of interest in the character. Unlike Vincent Aranda's diverting but conservative lesbian vampire story, The Blood-Spattered Bride, the men of Vampiros Lesbos do not dash imperiously to the rescue, nor do the male fear of being made redundant by lesbian desire receive the consolation prize of steering the narrative. Franco is unthreatened by lesbianism. Fascinated and aroused, yes, but challenged, no. On the contrary, as a committed voyeur, he relishes it. One never senses the macho Spanish male's resentment of female independence lurking behind Franco's camera. The lesbianism played out in Vampiros Lesbos is the whole story. The only flaw is that the film ends with Linda slaying Nadine and puttering off to sea with her dopey boyfriend, a conservative conclusion that feels like Franco's only error in judgment. It's an error of judgment, however, that requires us to delve into a can of worms. With a film title so perfectly poised to rouse the interest of predominantly male audience, 
One has to ask, what is it about lesbian vampires that makes them so alluring for a commercial general cinema? The word lesbian and vampire go together like bacon and eggs in contemporary horror cinema, so it's worth shaking the familiarity off the concept and looking at it again, because the persistent combination of lesbianism and vampirism in the genre speaks volumes about attitudes in, to homosexuality in all its forms. That it should be female homosexuality rather than male variety that ends up being explored in a commercial context should come as no surprise. I think we all can figure out the character. <clears throat> I think we all can figure out the cluster of factors that make this so. We can also, I think, dispense with any notion that the demographic targets of the genre are lesbians. The notion is laughable when you see it written down. The idea of a film company financing a movie like this, or The Vampire Lovers, or Daughters of Darkness, or Lesbian Vampire Killers, to appeal to gay women is absurd. The intended recipients are male heterosexuals, let's not mince words, that like to see beautiful women biting each other's tits. The ebbs and flow of Christian influence on morality aside were left to conclude that whilst homophobia is tucked deeply inside the lesbian vampire package, the labels have, as it were, fallen off. In terms of mass market consumption, the fears that first brought same-sex attraction and vampirism together may persist somewhere within, but they no longer drive their continuing repetition. For a young male audience, lesbians are hot. Vampires are scary. Women are hot and scary. So, lesbian vampires push all the buttons with the added attraction of removing male bodies from the ensuing softcore sex scenes. It doesn't matter that the female being seduced by the vampire is experiencing the terror of homosexual seduction. In the end, all that matters is both seducer and seducee get their rocks off. Vampiros Lesbos is an extraordinary experience and one of his most essential films. It offers the viewer a slender peninsula of narrative with the seas of high strangeness lapping all around. It tells of a woman seduced into a world of darkness and mystery, except there's almost no literal darkness to be seen. The shadows are internal, driven into hiding by the relentlessly sunny locations. It's a perversely beautiful film whose clean, modern lines, bright colors, and open vistas are about as far away as possible from the gloomy cemeteries and dank Transylvania mists. Marino's ultra-sharp photography is perfectly suited to the material and the relentless handheld composition set the seal on the Franco House style for years to come. Borderless, near-plotless, panoramically bizarre, Vampiros Lesbos carries just enough of the conventional narrative of Franco's 1960s work to leave it at a crossroads, facing an avant-garde future while still holding hands with the past. Franco on screen. Franco's role as the depraved hotelier, Mehmet is so pungent and grotesque it almost overbalances the film. Driven insane by his wife's madness, he tortures women in his cellar, rearranging their collapsing psyches for his own amusement. In a paintingly horrible monologue, he describes how the torture drives his victims to declare their love as they perish. The film captures a shiver of the truly horrible as he sneers. In agony, they all love me. It's the cynicism which makes us withhold our sympathy. He's the sort of serial killer whose heart bleeds for his own woes, who claims to be driven by forces he can't control, yet remains totally aware of the game he's playing. 
after hearing his self-serving argument that he's somehow extracting love from his victims along with teeth and sundry body parts, we can only sigh with relief as Linda brings that most cumbersome of murder weapons, a bow saw, down on his neck. Studio. Filmed at CCC Berlin Spandau. Music. The eccentric psychedelic score to Vampiros Lesbos by Manfred Hubler and Siegfried Schwab became a surprise hit on CD during the lounge music revival of the mid-90s. Trendy young things bopped erotically around their bachelor pads to it, and the party friendliness of many of the numbers brought attention to Franco from new and unexpected directions. Unfortunately, in erotic horror film music, it's only half-suited to purpose, often puncturing the mood with campy horns and kitschy sitars. The slower, more sensual pieces work best, especially a swirling Hammond organ track called The Message, which suits Franco's lush, opiate sensuality perfect. Locations Istanbul, Barcelona, and Alicante. The white-walled sea-facing hotel corridor down which a hypnotized Linda walks to join the Countess was previously used in Lucky the Inscrutable in 1966. The stairs where Seward confronts the Countess appeared as part of the Raddock House in Eugene, Eugenie, 1970, and the bedroom in which the Countess seduces Linda was the same one where Raddock's snuff film was shot. It's interesting that even in confined spaces like this, Franco ensures that we see different views of the room in two different films. This is often true when he shoots material for more than one film at the same location. Such commitment to variety beyond the call of duty belies the accusation of laziness leveled at him by some critics. All right, so after this introduction, we will be going to the uh, German trailer. Uh, I believe that's the one we'll be using. And then uh, we'll go to the review portion with... Amber Kloss, um, out of Los Angeles, California, star of stage and screen, and she'll be uh, reviewing Vampiros Lesbos with me. Uh, so I just want to tell you all for listening, thank you all so much for listening this year. Uh, we started about the end of October, and uh, with this, the 12th episode, we're trying to do at least one a week, sometimes two a week, on special holidays, as you just seen. Had a sp- extra episode for Christmas, and had a... Um, a double one for Halloween and a few other things. Um, so yeah, try to get them all out to you at least once a week, maybe more. Um, it's a labor of love for me. I love just Franco films. I'm very passionate about it. When you have a passion, you follow that passion and you let the passion consume you and you follow it through because it leads you to new places and opens new doors for you. And that's a good symbol of just Franco and his films because he worked with many people and traveled around the world and shot many films, some ideas many times over, and some once off. Um, this is done for praise and memory of Jess Franco and all the people that worked on his films, alive and dead. Um, let us remember 2020 as a year of strength, a year of sacrifice, a year we lost a lot of good people, a lot of good friends, a lot of people we loved. A lot of people we haven't known or will never know, but are just as important. So let us find the strength to continue on and to be good people and to keep creating stories, keep creating new universes, find the new light, create new light, and let's live no more in darkness. Amen.
Bestialische Morde im Dunkeln des modernen Istanbuls. Jene geheimnisvollen, jahrtausende alten Stadt im Orient. Eine gewagte und harte Verfilmung des alten Dracula-Themas, dessen Erbe Schrecken, Entsetzen und Grauen bedeutet. Eine gnadenlose, tödliche Jagd. Gleichzeitig erregt dieser Traum mich auch. Ich bin mehr als einmal schon dabei zum Orgasmus gekommen. über Rätsel in einem Film voller Spannung und Sex. Ich habe lange keine Zeit mehr gehabt, so in der Sonne zu liegen. Es macht Spaß, nackt im Sand zu liegen. Besonders zu zweit, finden Sie nicht auch? Sie versuchen, mir Linda wegzunehmen. Aber warum kommen Sie dann hierher? Weil du in dieser Stunde sterben wirst. Ein blutiger Weg, voller grauenhafter Entdeckungen. Frauen im Banne des unheimlichen Erbes und uralten Fluches des Grafen Dracula. Hello, buddies, and welcome once again to the Franco Observer Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rudy, and today this is episode 12, and we are coming to you, uh, this will be playing at the end of uh, 2020. Um, for this episode, we're focusing on film 30, uh, Vampiros Lesbos. Uh, it was shot in April 12, April 27th to June 4th of 1970 and released in 1971. Uh, today for this film, I asked a friend of mine, a uh, gal I've known for quite a few years. Uh, she's a movie nerd, uh, self-professed. Uh, she's a theater actress from Sacramento, California. Uh, she has been involved with the Trash Film Orgy for many years uh, she's lived in Los Angeles for 15 years now, worked on the TV show Mad Men, involved with the American Cinematheque for 15 years, and presently she's uh, produced a short film released by Shout Factory and streaming now called Death Simber. And my guest today is Miss Amber Kloss. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. Always exciting and a good day to talk about movies. <laughs> yeah, thank you for joining us. Talk about it. Yeah, look at that. There's always more to learn. So. Very much so. So uh, before we jump into the episode and talk about uh, Jess Franco, tell us about your film that you've just produced and has came out. Yeah, so um, it's, it's called December, and it's sort of like a horror Christmas anthology, uh, kind of like, uh, you know, what do they call it? Like every day of the month of December, a 
like when you take a little chocolate out. Uh, oh yeah, like the little boxes and the little. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. And um, so we actually shot maybe a year and a half ago, um, and it was a they assigned different people to create this, you know, anthology together. So in our little short, um, my boyfriend, Mark Gottlieb, was the writer and our friend, Amelia, she directed it. And I got a help on it too, which was was really fun. It was my first like IMDb producer credit. So I was like, very exciting. Um, It was a lot of fun. And it's, yeah, it's streaming now. And um, yeah, it's a blast. It's got uh, short films around the world, uh, Christmas and horror themed. So yeah, good, because Christmas horror-themed films always have a life that live for years and years and years, so it's always a nice double thing to hit with that, you know? Absolutely. Um, so um, how long have you done films now? How long have you been an actress? Oh, well, I'm originally from Sacramento, and when I was there, I studied theater. I did mostly a lot of theater there and in San Francisco, um, and then since then, and then, you know, with my time now in L.A., um, you know, it's funny. I, I, I joke. I have a lot of respect for my friends that kind of do the full-time actor thing or the full-time creative thing. But it's funny. I really do enjoy both the hybrid of both my day job. I've been working in like the natural foods world for about 15 years. It's funny. Like I absolutely love it. But I also just kind of do the creative stuff part-time. You know, it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, if I'm not traveling for work, I can make it to an audition or do something if I can make that commitment. Um but yeah, I worked on Mad Men the first three seasons, just as a small little part, but an absolute blast. It was just a tiny something, but it was still a good time. And like since then, I've done anything from like, you know, random little like TV shows. Um, you know, I do a lot of co- like commercial commercials and inter- like uh, infomercials and whatnot. Um, and then, you know, living in LA, you have a bunch of friends always working on projects. I'm always like down for anything, but um, I love it. You know, if I, I, I love the uh, behind the scenes of it, too. I've taken some film classes in L.A., um, but just all of it. I feel like when you're in L.A., I tell people, I'm like, even if you have no desire to do acting, I'm like, just go spend a day on set, you know, if you can. Be an extra for one day and just appreciate this city, you know. And that's a good segue because uh, for one day in 2007, you acted in a film I did called The Last Road to Hell. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yes! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first film I did. I was a writer and director of that for Desperate Visions Productions. Wow, 2007. That's insane. Yeah, I know. It's been that long. It's totally funny, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was cool. So yeah, I just so, uh, come full circle all the way now. So. Right, I know, I know. <laughs> fun, fun. So, all right. So, um Let's jump on this. Uh, this is episode 12, uh, film 30, uh, Vampiros Lesbos. Um, quick update, we now have downloads, listeners in 18 countries and 86 cities. So we're getting our, getting our feet wet, so that's good. Um, I'm going to hit with the uh, synopsis of the film first, and then I'm going to ask uh, Amber her thoughts, and then we're going to start rolling from there. So uh, the synopsis of the film. After a night out with her boyfriend, Omar, watching a nightclub burlesque show involving a beautiful predatory woman ravishing a human dummy, Linda becomes preoccupied with what she has seen and consults Dr. Steiner, a psychiatrist. She tells him that she has dreamed about the woman before seeing her in the flesh. Soon afterwards, Linda's employer asks her to help in establishing a real estate office in Istanbul. She agrees saying that she's already going to Turkey to see the Countess Nadine Karate, 
who she has never met regarding an inheritance in a small Turkish town en route to the Kadididos Islands where the Countess lives Linda encounters Mehmet a sinister hotel employee who, warned, who warns her not to go to the island despite walking in on him torturing a woman in the hotel cellar Linda ignores his warnings and continues on her journey arriving at the Countess's beach house she finds it empty The Countess is outside, sunbathing by her swimming pool. She greets Linda, who is startled by her appearance. She is the woman from the nightclub show. After swimming and sunbathing together, Nadine and Linda discuss the terms of the inheritance, which involves the transfer of property from the certain Count Dracula. Linda falls unconscious after drinking red wine, and the Countess sucks her blood. Arising some time later, feeling groggy and confused, Linda staggers outside, but she faints again when she sees the Countess in the swimming pool, apparently dead. At a private clinic in Istanbul, run by Dr. Seward, a psychiatrist fascinated by the occult, a woman called Agra raves that her friend, the Queen of the Night, is returning. Linda is brought to Seward's clinic, having lost her memory. Her boyfriend, Omar, finds her there, but she cannot remember anything that took place on the island. Soon, Omar, too, is bitten by the vampire. Meanwhile, Countess Karate has become obsessed with Linda, seeking her out again to pass on the secrets of the vampires, as Count Dracula did to her many years ago. So, yeah, I watched it last night for, like, the third time. Nice. I really enjoyed it the third time more than I did the first two times combined, actually, watching with fresh eyes. What did you think about it? Oh, my gosh. Um... I, I love it. Now, look, I've not seen like a, like a very many Franco films or whatever, but I feel like there's always one for everybody, right? Um, and I think some people might write off some of his films as being, oh, very much like this or very much like that. But I saw it and I thought, this is just, it seems like the perfect movie for people who haven't seen his films to watch. I think it's just so beautiful. Um, you know, and... I mean, I'm sure, you, you know, I, I don't know, you'll people kind of joking about like, oh, you know, lots of, you know, nudity and sex and violence in his films, but they forget that there's so many of them that are just really exquisite and beautiful. Um, and I think, you know, th this one really, really is. There's so much attention to detail, I feel like, with so many of the scenes where you can tell like, the lighting is really good, the backdrop is really good the wardrobe, the, the, the decor in the buildings. I mean, there's so much luxury in some of these shots, you know? Um, so, I mean, that was the first thing that came to mind to me is it really is, um, it's very exquisite, just a beautiful film. Yeah, um, and it's like with the lead being so beautiful as she is, it's almost great that the film is equal to her beauty and it's like those two together just flow very nicely together, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, you know, something I love, it was my second time watching it. Uh, the first time I saw it, and I loved it. And like you, I loved it even more when I watched it again with Fresh Eyes uh, last night. But something I, I, I kind of saw in it again last night was I love, well, I want to be careful not to do, give away of it, you know, any spoilers or anything. Well, it's, you know... Uh, what, 1970, so I think you're safe, you know. Okay. I'm always like, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know we first kind of meet Linda and her boyfriend watching uh, Nadine's, you know, uh, burlesque performance, 
I feel like so much of the audience is Linda at that table. And we're immediately captivated by what we're seeing, you know? And it's, 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 it, you can't not be kind of caught up in the swirl of the beauty that is, you know, Nadine and just confidence and her mystery. And right. um, it's just like, I feel like when they have the shot of, you know, Linda just kind of like, yeah. you know, like that's the audience, you know, we're, we are her. <laughs> right. Just mesmerized by her whole, the whole thing, like you were saying, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. And it's beyond, and, and it's, and it's hard to explain, but it's, it's sort of different than when, you know, somebody sees somebody, you know, gorgeous and attractive that it's not that like overtly kind of like sexy kind of thing um, where you're like, Oh, they're just so gorgeous. It's, it's, it's in a very, the way that it's presented in the movie, it's just this hypnotic, you know, sexy, just, you know, you're captivated and completely bewitched by her. It's something different, you know? Which makes sense because she's like the vampire. She's supposed to be hypnotic and mesmerizing and beautiful and something out of this world. So it just like she just plays it so well. And it's like mm-hmm. and like um, this was like uh, oh, what was it the notes I was reading? Um, this is after Blood and Roses, you know, which was kind of like, well, I mean, Dracula's Daughter is probably the first lesbian vampire film, you know, from a, a universal back in the day, but like blood and roses from a, a Roger Vadim, that's got like the first lesbian off of a um, Carmela off of uh, that, that story. And they did that. And then um, um, vampire, let's see, which one is it? Uh, vampire lovers came out like three months before this rap. So they were kind of simultaneously, but this is regarded as kind of the first like lesbian vampire mainstream for America. Oh, so Blood and Roses kind of got out of the gates first, you know. Oh, okay. So it's the first sort of lesbian vampire themed mainstream, you said. Yeah, I mean, Blood and Roses was more like gothic kind of, and and that was first before this, technically, you know. But like, I don't know how well that played or how many people saw it, but this is definitely. If you put those two side by side, more people would would talk about this film more than Blood and Roses, I think, over time, you know. Right, right. Um And then after that, just think how many lesbian vampire that concept was just played out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, you know. You know, but even like Jean Rolin though was doing stuff before this for the lesbian vampire text too, but that was like in French and I don't know how much of that played over here at that time. That all came out on the drive ins like later on, like in the seventies later, you know, under really bad titles and, and that, right. which, uh, but yeah, anyway, but that's, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I mean, cause in Jean Roland, I don't know. Are you familiar with, a uh, Jean Roland films? Not too much. Not too okay. Much. Um, fascination is like a good entryway. Um, Bridget Leahy's in that. And, uh, that's a good one. And he's done, uh, lips of blood and, uh, Living Dead Girl, Wrecking for a Vampire, uh, Demoniacs, Iron Rose. And so, yeah, he's really cool. He does a lot of dreamy vampires oh. on the beach with castles, a lot of female vampire stuff. And he did it late 60s, early 70s, into the 80s. And did some stuff later on when he got rediscovered, like by the home video audience and such. You know, they kind of made DVD movies like Franco did later on where 
they're not as good, but you still kind of want to see what they're doing when they're in their fifties or sixties or seventies or whatever, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Oh, wow. Well, that is a fun fact. I didn't realize that, that about this movie as far as being like a mainstream release. And I think I might've mentioned you a week or two ago when we were emailing, uh, I recently saw daughters of darkness. Oh yeah. And um, after I saw that, I mean, I'm, it's funny. Whenever I watch movies in my brain, I'm always going, oh, that would be a good double feature with this. But um, some of those themes remind me of well. And I also recently saw, we screened it at the drive-in, was um, Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. The original or the uh, Werner Herzog one? Oh, uh, Werner Herzog. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The first I remember thinking, is this going to be strange to see the drive-in? But it was really magical. It was pretty cool. But um, but there was some little, and I'm glad I saw that so recently because, you know, Nosferatu, when he's going to go do the real estate business. <laughs> right. When that's taken from Dracula, and that's and that goes into what I was going to jump into, this film is almost a remake of Dracula in a lot of ways. And I never caught that before watching it this time of, like, her going to meet her to, like, do the inheritance, going to another place, falling in love with her, waking up, looking around, everybody's gone, like, Dracula split. Um there's a Renfeld character in this. Uh, there's like so much that's like Dracula. You're like, holy shit, that's like his version of Dracula kind of, but it's hidden in there until you like look for it. And there it is, you know? And honestly, I think if I hadn't seen Nosferatu again so recently, I, maybe I wouldn't have been so, but I was like, oh, another little bit of business someone has to go do that's real estate or yeah. something, you know, up on the mountain where everyone's warning them not to go, you totally, know? Totally, totally. But and it's and it, that's what's kind of cool, I guess. There's always these sort of like different sort of translations in, of of a vampire story, the classic vampire story. You know, I I think the first time when I saw a vampire, I remember thinking, "Oh, a vampire who sunbathes." But my favorite part that cracked me up was in the beginning when, when Linda shows up at the house to meet Nadine, and she's sunbathing by the pool with her big pool of sunglasses. <laughs> and Nadine goes. Ah, but before we get back, get down to business, and then they're running out to the beach yeah. to go swim. I love how immediately the music turns into this '60s musical, like Razzmatazz. And I was like, "Huh, I can only imagine traveling for business and my first time meeting my client. <laughs> it's like, let's go for a, let's go skinning dipping. Exactly, <laughs> and let's yeah, um, look, I- roll around wet on the sand and have it just stick to our bodies because it feels so good." I mean, look, for some reason, we accept it in this. And we're like, that's absolutely what you would do when you would show up at Nadine's place. It's just what you do, you know? But I, it made me laugh a little bit. And like, this is fan- It's so fantastical and wonderful, you know? Totally, totally. So, like, uh, this film starts off with an opening radio signal. And you see um, her red scarf laying there. And she's laying on, like, this black, kind of a black bed with a red scarf. That's kind of like her coffin and automatically you see a boat in the beginning. And one thing about Jess Franco, a checklist of his films, a lot, not every one of his films, but a lot of his films start off with a body of water and a sailboat. And in this, he has a body of water and like a big boat, like a big ship tanker in it or whatever. And that's one thing as we go through and watch these films, we talk about that. And there's certain things that we look for with a Jess Franco film. So this one, he starts off right in the beginning with body of water and a boat. And um, he has um, uh, he has a dance scene. Also, too, every Franco film has a dance scene, almost. Nine, nine out of ten of his films have dance scenes. 
this one, a dance scene is, is a huge part of the film and it's, it's a big thing that draws her in. And he's basically Dracula's, um, um, heiress that's now stripping and putting on a strip act for patrons. And then she kind of draws people from the club. I'm sure if there was a backstory to that, she probably met different people at the club throughout time. Women brought them in, fed on them and everything. It'd be kind of cool to like go into her story of like one year before or something, you know? Right, right, right. And that was another thing too. I was like, look at that vamp, you know, vampire Nadine hustling, you know, she doesn't have all this wealth that Dracula's left her, but she's got a job too, you know, but I know exactly. She has a beautiful place and she can just lay around all day and she has a servant and she has everything. Like you said, this is where she gets all her captivated audience, you know, and brings them in. So, and it's almost like the hunger kind of, you know, like a, uh, yeah, a future version of that, you know, the <laughs> hunger existed of them being in a club waiting for people and this. It's like the club and the vampires in the club as well. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, sold out in this. She's so beautiful. And probably all the Franklin, you just look at her and you just have to just stare at her. It's just a beauty of mankind and just everything about her is just so beautiful. She's perfection. Yeah. I mean, she was made, she was made for this role. Yeah. And, um, I think. So she's been in a, a few of Franco's films, yeah? Or? Yeah, she did uh, Nightmares Come at Night, Count Dracula, this. She killed in ecstasy, Devil Came from Oxavana, and one more. Oh, and she's in uh, one other one. But yeah, she did about five of his films, and then she died in a car wreck right after Devil Came from Oxavana. And she had just signed a contract to do a bunch of films, uh, Vampires Lesbos in this started getting ready to play. She never saw the premieres or became famous off of it. But yeah, on that, on I think the She Killed an Ecstasy uh, Severin Blu-ray, there's a good documentary about that that kind of talks about it. Like, there's a lady, and it might be on the Vampires Lesbos one too, I'm not sure, but... You know, I was looking at it just now because uh, Emma Stromberg, she was also in She Killed an Ecstasy, yeah? Yeah, and that's an actress that the producer of this really wanted to cast and Franco kind of didn't want to cast her, but he put her in this and she's, and she's in a few, uh, Gallo films. Um, right. I recognize her from, I think. Yeah. And, and she's cool in this. I mean, she's game. She gets naked and, and she plays along and, and she's really interesting and, and she photographs really well and, and, yeah. and she's a good actress, but, yeah. um, so yeah, and this, uh, sold dog, she has a dance routine. Um, there's cool. There's a, a lot of close-up shots. There's a montage of close-up shots where we see a scorpion and a butterfly and a moth and like netting and that. And he uses that to kind of break up his scenes. But it's also really cool because it's like her catching her prey and the the net and the, the moths coming to her and and the scorpion of course existing underwater and and everything. And her vampire is different because vampires are usually afraid of water, and we see her. She's lounging uh when she's lounging in the pool later on she finds her that's like her coffin she's floating and she thinks she's dead but she's sleeping that's how she sleeps is in that uh pool of water you know because uh you know water's life and then she feeds off life so she's in a pool of water you know i'm glad you said that because that was one moment you know sometimes you watch something and you think well maybe the second time i'll understand it a little and even after last night i'm like 
wait, so what's the scoop on that? So that's right. kind of like a coffin to her is. Yeah, that's why she was sleeping when that woman freaked out and thought she was dead because she just feasted and she's just sleeping. She's just all at peace and she's all stretched out and she's floating. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. And kind of like when you're in a womb and you're floating and that's very, you know, just floating. Right. Just, yeah. At one, and you know, you just mentioned some of those uh, little pieces of like, you know, the moth, the butterfly and the scorpion, yeah, yeah. how it's kind of interspersed through it really is interesting. Like at least little piece, but from the, a sound level, when it begins, you mentioned that radio frequency. Yeah, it's a weird, like, type sound, yeah. Yeah, 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 and it's so bizarre, but cool, and I'm, and it's like, you can't forget it, but you hear it at moments throughout the movie as well, it's like a flash of sound, kind of like that flash of the scorpion, you know, it's almost these visual and sound narrators that are kind of keeping us on track and 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 and, I'm, and i really don't know what that siren's supposed to mean i don't know if it's like the vampire siren or if it's just a, a otherworldly sound like lightning or thunder or, or what that's supposed to represent the actual or just could be an actual soundscape of like his kind of music with the because franco was a jazz musician first and foremost and wow. if you watch a lot of his films with the jazz motif that's why some people watch his films and they, and they go, oh, it doesn't make sense or it's kind of scattered. Well, if you listen to jazz a lot, you, there's parts where it just plays and, and, they, and they go for a while and you just kind of jam and go and float and go back and forth. And then you go back to your point and then go home. And that's like this. You kind of start off. Here's the beginning of a song. Here's what you recognize. Now we get to stretch our legs and kind of do some cool, weird stuff. And then we go back to what you came to see and then it goes home, you know. And that's like with his films, too, which is interesting. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, I mean, each director has a style. You know, Kubrick's got his style, and Spielberg's got a style, and, and you know, Jared Gento has a style, and, you know, Franco's like that. It's just, he has that jazz musician background, so that's his yeah. way he puts oh, films together. That's so cool. And, and like, hearing that, it kind of makes me go, oh, I mean, it kind of doesn't surprise me, because, I mean, the score in this, I was like, oh, my gosh, I want this. Like, all the music in it. It's a good variety of stuff, but uh, it's so beautiful. Yeah, and then there's a song of this that's used, I think, in the Jackie Brown soundtrack, the Quentin Tarantino film, Jackie Brown. <laughs> yep, it was Jackie Brown. It's yeah. so funny you say that because last night I was like, "What's what other movie? It's a Tarantino film that one of the tracks are from." But yeah, I, yeah, it's on the soundtrack. Jackie Brown. Yes, thank you. Okay, that's all. The, um, yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you, and I was like, "I'm like Jason will know this." Um, so Frank, he go he went by different names. Oh, big it, time! Yeah, like so many names. Was it a distribution thing for like different countries, or? I each film is different. From as I've learned and watched, it's like when he's doing a film where he's trying to be sly and do it away from like because like one thing about Franco, some films he'll make like this film he made straight on. Okay, I'm gonna make this film. I'm gonna shoot it all the way through, and it's done. Other films he'll like shoot. And then at the end of the day, he'll take a few actors and shoot a few scenes for like another film. And then he'll take a couple more actors of the next film and shoot a few more scenes for another film. And then he'll like have film like, okay, say for instance, he's shooting film A. Well, he's assembling footage for film C, okay? Now he's making film B for somebody else and he's assembling footage for film uh, C and D. And then by the time he's got the third mainstream film made, then he'll take footage of all that put together, 
go to a producer and go, hey, I got these two films that are half films. If you want to sign me and make your film, you can also get these two films, pay me the rest of the money to finish these, and you'll have three films that you can distribute and sell and stuff. So he's really smart. He would do things on the side, do films for himself, and do this and that. So, like, uh, what was your original question again? <laughs> oh, yeah, just that I've noticed in some of his movies, not this one, he went, he went by his own name, but... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. For names. So, so if he was going straight ahead, like for this, it was just Franco. But then like on the German one, he's like, uh, um, Frank Manera or no, uh, Franco Manera. He's on Franco Manera as one of the, or like, if he's like, if he's a writer, a director and a producer or a camera operator, sometimes he'll just take the directing credit and then use a moniker for his writing credit or whatever. If he doesn't want to like show his face too many times, you know? Even for his acting ones, too, he'll use aliases, which is so funny because I guess people didn't know what he looked like back then in the 70s when you don't. Oh, really? Even though he I mean, was like, well, I mean, if you go see a film and it's a face and they say played by Joe, right. say, and you don't know who Joe Lee is, you, and then maybe if you're a hardcore Franco fan, you go, oh, hey, wait, that's just Franco. But, you know, in 1973 and <laughs> some drive in, they're not going to go, oh, that's so and so. They'll just watch the movie and, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. With home video and shit, we can reference stuff fast and we look at pictures and compare, and it's a whole other ball game, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, you know, he, he kind of had a fun, a fun part in this one, too. But again, yeah. one of the parts that I love where you just accept it, we're in the world of Franco, like when she's like, before we get down to business, let's go skinny dip, right? I love how. When she arrives, um, when Linda arrives at the hotel and Franco is kind of like this sort of guy that works there, you know, yeah. uh, he kind of gets real close to her, you know, does the whole thing like that place is filled with, you know, darkness and death or whatever. He says, don't go there. But then he goes, but meet me down in the wine cellar later on tonight. And right, I'm like, like oh, he's going to tell her some <laughs> clues or something. Wait, I thought like she like is she really gonna go down to some dark wine cellar at night from this guy that was just saying creepy things? And sure enough, there she goes, you know. <laughs> and the woman in the wine cellar is um, Benny Cardoso, is that actress's name? She was a Brazilian actress. She first film she did for Franco was uh, the girl from Rio. She's in that. She works for um, Sumuru. She's one of Sumuru's. Actually, she's uh, Sumuru's main henchwoman. Her girlfriend that loves her, that follows her and stuff. And she acted in like tons of Franco films. She's like out of the episode 12 out of I've I've seen her probably in five of the 12 films that I've watched so far, you know, so she's in a lot of his films. Okay. So she was the woman that we saw when uh, Linda goes down into the cellar and kind of, yeah, the redheaded woman kind of like half dead. And then you see her again later on and she's completely dead, tied up and blood just completely still. Yeah. Was that, for the in the movie Franco's wife, when Franco said, "Oh, my wife went there and lost to this island and lost her mind and came back." His wife was Agra, the blonde woman who was like uh, a Renfeld. I'm sorry, that's right, that's right. She was the one that was going. That was his wife. Okay, we don't know exactly who the woman was in the cellar. Then could have been another hotel guest, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a woman that after Agra left, he lost his mind. So he was like a serial killer. Like after she left, he lost his mind. He was trying to, you know, make these women not pure or whatever. Trying to tell them, you know, trying to fix them in, in his eyes, you know, and, and killing them and stuff. Which is, right. he's he's done a role like that too in uh, Status of Notre Dame and in Exorcism, where he's kind of this like over the top eccentric like woman hating you know i must clean the earth type of like travis pickle type of character where he's just wants to kill everybody and you know do it under god's eye type thing <laughs> um 
So I guess kind of tying to why he uses different names, like for the one that I saw, it was in German. Yeah. Um, and when and how do they choose to do that? Was Germany like offer financing? Well, one of his is uh, David Kuhn, K-H-U-N-N-E, and he uses it here under, under K-U-N-N-E. For uh, for one of the mu- oh wow for music actually in the German or in the Spanish print okay so the Spanish version and the German version because the Blu-ray has a Spanish VHS print that's on there as disc two and that's got different music than the than the main one so if you watch the main one it's got that German music but if it's you listen to the Spanish one it's got a Spanish soundtrack and Jess Franco did some of the Spanish music for that under the name David Kuhn. Oh. Next reason to watch disc two. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I was wondering, I'm like, oh, what made them choose? Yeah. So like, yeah. So for him, I think, yeah, he used uh, A.M. Frank, David Kuhn, uh, uh, Wolfgang Frank. Uh, he's quite a few. It's kind of fun. That's uh, we've been writing down all of his names. I'm going to have one episode where I just read off a list of his names and what films they use as and kind of just do a, a side episode of that, you know? Right, right. Well, it was kind of funny. I love I love watching movies in German and Italian because they're two languages I, I know a little bit, but nice. it was funny. I didn't translate all the lines in Vampiros. And there was a few that I heard where I was like, oh, that's funny. Like that line, they didn't, like there's, there's one where he's yelling at James Franco telling him, you know, he's calling him names to get back to work. But it was, it was, it was, it was said in German and I, and I caught that, but they weren't translating. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. Maybe they were just kind of like not in the script. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. But, I know sometimes the translations aren't, especially if you know the right word. You're like, wait a minute, that word's off. How are they? That's not true. Like, Don't sneak that by me. I know what it really is. Um, one thing about this film is there's like red in almost every shot. There's like um, uh, the psychiatrist's office. He has red furniture all over the place. Um, on the floor, the steps, they're all red. Um, you see uh, the stairs, the couch, the walls, uh, her jacket and purse Linda has is red. There's red candles, red wine, the red kite flying in the air. He likes to put the red in all the shot, which is cool for the vampire film, the splash of blood, you know, to kind of like emphasize that. Um, I like the psychiatrist's advice to her. He's kind of like just drawing a picture when she's telling him her being fascinated. He's like, his advice to her is find... Uh, Find a lover, find a better lover. Is yeah. what he tells her. Like that's his advice to her. You know? Right. And he's drawing all these things of like people with four or five arms, six arms, and all these weird little like drawings on his pad, which is which is odd. Um, right. Uh, let's see. Yeah, like I was saying before, this does follow Dracula with uh, Linda going to Turkey from Istanbul. Um, God, the footage with Istanbul is so beautiful. And I know. Lots of that and just all the background. It's one thing about Franco films, even if the story's odd or it's boring or you can't follow it or whatever, the locations and the and the places he shoots is just so amazing. Every one of his films from Portugal to Lisbon to Germany to Sweden to all over the place, he's he, he shoots so many beautiful locations and his eye for places is right. great, you know. Yeah, and it was funny while I was watching this too. I'm like, oh, to travel again, like to go out of the house, you know? It was yeah, just so beautiful. And um, you said something earlier that was interesting was that opening scene with the like the ocean and that kind of cruise ship. Oh yeah. Down. 
um, you could just feel like you can feel that sort of ocean breeze from that shot or the balconies of uh, Nadine's palace and everything. Um, but I didn't realize that that was a running theme sort of like Franco setting that he uses a lot. That's really cool. Yeah, it's usually a sailboat, a sailboat in a body of water. And it's like, because we always watch it like, okay, here it is. Okay, that's off our checklist. And we like, there's a, there's a checklist. It's always um, water or a sailboat, uh, a dance scene in a club. Yeah. Uh, palm trees with jungle sound effects he uses that a lot. Oh. Um, the films he did with Dietrich, there's always a sheepskin rug, and that made me buy a little sheepskin rug in the meantime. <laughs> oh my goodness, I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's we're watching it, and and the Dietrich films, uh, we talk about those in uh, let's see, episodes eight, nine, or I'm sorry, uh, nine, ten, eleven, and. Uh, of those we kind of talk about the sheepskin rug because it's basically featured and like it's cool because like as a filmmaker all these films he did all these in a row and you watch them all in a row and you see the same props he uses a lot of the same furniture uh, a lot of the same actors and he'll just change things around and you're like okay that's the bed from this film that's the lamp from this one that's the room from this and you start especially all these together it's really really cool you know so funny so he even uses some of the same props oh yeah yeah if you watch yeah the, all the dietrich films he uses this red bed and a red couch and uh this bird cage that's in every room and there's like certain things you're like oh here's that same thing it's like really funny you know i mean especially if you but like i was saying back then these movies came out six months apart you see in a theater one time you don't pay attention to that stuff but you watch them on blu-ray back to back to back you you could catch it quicker you know right i see what you mean right 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 um. <laughs> um but yeah so there's um like you had mentioned the wine cellar scene of benny cardoso the blood running down uh um oh yeah so what was cool is this is her house with the uh, blood running down the windows when i first saw that film that's one thing that struck me it's almost like and also to that sound that you were talking about as i was going to mention that might be her house talking because you hear that that when, when the blood runs down the runs down the window, and it's almost like the house is a being, almost like that film House. You know, it's like the house lives, and it's like part of bringing in the people, and like the pool is like the where she sleeps, and it's part of her extended body is that house. You know, so that could be where that sounds coming from. You know, I don't know. Oh, if that's it, kind of a cool way to yeah. So that's and also too. Her rooms looked a lot like uh, uh, Twin Peaks. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, noticed that. Her bedroom with the red lights in the end of uh, the walls and such, it, it uh, uh, looked like the, the uh, red room in, in that scene of, of her. I don't know. Watch that again with just the aesthetics of it, and you're kind of like, I don't know. It kind of caught some David Lynch vibes in that, so that's cool, you know. Oh, but, absolutely. Um, there's good stuff on that. Um, let's see what else notes I want to go with. Oh, yeah, so um, – um, so, uh, Linda checks out of the hotel and, uh, Mehmet kidnaps her. Um, and it's funny too. The boyfriend goes to find her and he asks the checkout guy, well, where did she go? And the checkout guy goes, well, I don't know. And then I was thinking, when I was watching that. How many times when you leave a hotel, do you tell the checkout person where you're leaving to or where you're right. going? You know? Right. Yeah. And how do they know where you're going? That's so odd. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, so well, yeah, that's, that's, that's very funny. Um, so, and then we see the second dance routine uh, with the countess, and it's repeated the first, but um, she bites the woman and actually kills her in this, and the crowd applauses. 
And they use that concept in the film uh, Necronomicon slash Succubus, where the dance scene is real and it turns to a killing. And then same as uh, Exorcism as well. He used that concept in in all three of those films. Um, But and I noticed, too, when I was watching it from the first dance scene, when she disrobes, it's not you don't see her taking off each piece of cloth in that first dance scene. And then in the second dance scene, you see the articles of clothes that weren't removed in the first dance scene. So he basically just shot that one scene and then used half the footage for scene one and half the footage for scene two, because in the first scene, you see her bra off and on the woman, but you, but you don't see her take it off the second one. You see her take it off and put it on. So it's like, and then she takes off one legging and one and then one legging and the other of the other leg. So, watching that i go oh he just cut it and cut it all by body part and just did scene one three five and then second one did two four six and just use those you know so funny i see what you mean right you just get these dance scenes all shot right now we've got the audience and we've got this yeah yeah and also too i think that stage that she was on with the woman i don't think that audience watching is in the same room i'm almost sure like that's a separate because if you look it's one way and then they turn and it's everybody there and i don't I don't know, just watching it, I don't think that's all one one shot. I think how it's how it's shot. You know? Oh, that's so funny. You're right, because it's very much like the camera is on the stage and then the camera is on the audience. There's never like a, a scan and pan over. Right. You don't see them all in the same frame. You don't see anybody bleed over into the other shot or nothing. It's all really separate, you know, so. Oh, my goodness. So that, that's kind of funny. But that's like, you know, doing films, you kind of watch it differently than, you know. Lord, right, right. The movie, you know. Um, so uh, let's see. So then you have uh, the, uh, the Countess and Dr. Seward and uh, Bamet is Agra's husband. Um, and she kills. Uh, let's see where oh, yeah. So basically, um, the Countess and Dr. Seward, she kills. And uh, what's a really cool scene is when uh, the Countess vanishes through the door, when she comes through and she materializes on the other side of the door to come see Agra when she tells her that she's leaving and she sees her uh, toward the end of the film. And, uh, and then you realize that um, Mehmet was mad because his wife left him, who was Agra, who was the um, Renfield like character. And he goes, she went to the Island of women. And uh, so it's like his wife left him to go to another woman. So that's why he was, crazy and started killing these women because he was a misogynist and he goes to the island of women and that's the lesbos islands so that's like vampiros lesbos so i thought that was kind of a cool touch that maybe not everybody picked up but that's one thing that i was like oh interesting island of women lesbos island vampiros lesbos and they just kind of like pulled all that together you know right 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 yeah oh that's cool um i feel like who, who, who started out not to be that interesting of a character to me, but I was a little more interested at the end was Agra's doctor, the guy that was like kind of became obsessed with the occult and wanted so badly to be a part of it. He went from being like, oh, you know, I'm a very professional doctor to all of a sudden going, let me into your world. You know, he was kind of, uh, you know, pulled the, pulled the cover over his, uh, you know, what he wants pretty quickly, you know. Yeah, that's one thing I was going to bring up is um, that's cool. So his name is um, – that's, that's really interesting because I'm like only about four lines down from where you brought that up. That's funny. Um, oh. So his name is Dr. Seward, 
And there's a Dr. Seward in Dracula, the character of Dr. Seward's in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dennis Price is playing Dr. Eldon Seward. And then Paul Mueller, when he was in Count Dracula, his name was Dr. John Seward. So that's the Dracula character is Dr. John Seward. And then this has a Dr. Eldon Seward. So it's another Dracula thing. It's a different first name. but it's I love like, it. That's fun. I love those little tie-ins. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's cool. You have the, like I said, the same guy who played Dr. Seward in the first film is a different doctor in this one. And then there's a different Dr. Seward. I don't know if it's his brother or, or what. They don't really go into that. But he's almost like a Van Helsing type of character. And he tries to help her. But then you see that he wants to become a vampire and tries to say the words to get in and she says it doesn't work and then he uses latin to try to get her away and then her assistant uh kills him and her assistant um morpho that's a character that was used in dr orloff like just franco's first film so that's another nod to a just franco film oh so it was kind of a previously used character that name yeah is kind of a mute assistant that's you know wears glasses or that wears a all black outfit you know that serves the the, that serves the main bad guy oh interesting okay okay so we have that and then um finishing up uh soldad uh i haven't really talked about her too much um there's some really beautiful shots where she's in the white fur coat and she looks, she looks kind of tired in the shots. And when I first watched it, I was like, Oh, maybe they filmed her. She was up all night. But then I realized after watching it, it's close to when she knows she's going to die. So she's kind of like tired and and worn out and that. So, so it actually lends validity to her looking kind of tired and kind of been up all night and that. So I was like, okay, it actually fits, you know, because she's very beautiful and she's always has makeup, everything perfect. And this, she's kind of like, her hair is kind of down and she looks like she's been up for a while and she's still beautiful in the white fur and being out, but you could tell that she's just kind of like kind life of, left her a little bit. Right. So, right. so I thought that was kind of cool. And then you see, um, um, Oh, and then, okay. And then I always find one blooper or one thing that I can always find in a Jess oh. Franco film. <laughs> so one hour, 22 minutes, 49 seconds. You see the crew and the reflection of Linda and the glass door when she's in the glass door you see the reflection of like five or six people all standing in the reflection of the glass when she's banging on the glass. So it's probably like Franco and the cameraman and the lighting guy and the assistant. So when she's trying to get back into Nadine's mansion, when yeah, she's, yeah, when she's looking for her and she's trying. Yeah. So one hour, 22 minutes, 49 seconds, right around there. You see her being on that. Um, I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's always fun to find that. I found people in uh, his films like standing in the shot and then he'll like, pan a little bit and then pan the person out of the frame and you're just like just cut that out and then cut to that next thing but it's there's certain things like why the hell or you'll see a person standing in the back looking around and they're like that's not even a person in the film and it's it's there's quite a few in each film i find at least one or two you know that's fun though <laughs> yeah it's fun it's, it's always fun with a good eye um and like her room is really cool she has like this cool foil kind of steel metallic walls in in her room and she has this cool, like, going into her place, she has this, like, red macrame that hangs from the ceiling. That's oh, my like, God. Pouring from the ceiling kind of effect, kind of. But it's just so beautiful and so odd, but really nice, nicely done, you know. Right. So much aesthetic is going on. Every opening scene, we're just sucked into it with, like, whoa. Yeah. And then, uh, and in the end, uh, she's stabbed through the eye. So that's almost, of, I don't know, beating the eye of the holder or or taking your eye, uh, eye for an eye, or I don't know what, what that was supposed to symbolize what he wanted to do, or if he just wanted to stab her through the eye. 
And then Morpho sees that and kills himself. And then they both vanish when the doctor and the boyfriend arrive. So it's almost like, were they real? Did they really exist? Or was that something she imagined? Or were they really there? And Or, you know, kind of like the whole Dracula thing, too. And they try to claim that Dracula was a vampire. And then Van Helsing killed him. And he was trying to say that he staked him. And they charge him for murder. And it's almost that same thing of, well, you know, maybe you're not feeling well or... They almost gaslight her at the end, basically, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Watching a lot of these 70s films, there's a lot of gaslighting, especially Gallows and that. There's, like, gaslighting in, like, every film, if you, like, sit down and watch it. And those, you know, it's kind of funny. Right, right, right. Yeah, because, yeah, this was set 71, right? Uh, yeah, it was uh, shot in 1970 and came out. Uh, shooting date is April at, uh, April 27th to June 4th of 70, and it played Germany uh, July of 71, France of 73, Barcelona 74, Madrid 74, and Seville 74. And then it probably played drive-ins and, and ever after that, you know, under who knows what or what, you know. Oh, probably an alternate title, you think, or? Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of their stuff was was dumped on the drive-in circuit and chopped and changed, and you know, just like a lot of good stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. The John Lennon films to the Fulci films to all those, you know, Gates of Hell and all that. They, you know, change the title and chop it up and whatever, you know. But his stuff got popular on VHS and that I think in the '80s, and people rediscovered his films, just like everybody else, you know, Russell Meyer and and John Waters and everybody, and you know. And, and also, like we were talking about, like this is a good film for non-Franco fans to get into. It's almost like John Waters. It's like Pink Flamingos. Either you like it or you don't like it. And if you like it, then you'll like his stuff, you know. And that's kind of like with this as well, you know. Right? Yes. <laughs> At least for me. I mean, I mean, as time goes by, maybe Hairspray for the different generations or something, maybe. But but I me, mean, it's always Pink Flamingo, you know. And once you get into that, then just like this, it's like it's a journey, you know. Films and. It's, you get into one director and you go through their stuff. Then you see other directors that are like them or the same genre and you go into their stuff or read about somebody else and start watching their stuff. And then it just goes and goes and goes and goes down that rabbit hole. You know? and it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on this, there's um, the German openings different. There's a quote for um, um, Helena, the book Helena. And it's also Dracula's heiress. They mentioned that in the, uh, in the German opening of it, uh, it's called um, Vampiros Lesbos Dracula's Eris. It's um, uh, Erben des Dracula. And then also, uh, yeah, Erben des Dracula. Um, and uh, yeah, his name on this is um, Franco Manera in the German credit on this, which was funny. So I saw that and it caught my eye. Um, but yeah, so that was my notes on Vampiros Lesbos. Is there any other notes or anything else that you want to talk about on this? There's one more note I want to mention, and you, you just mentioned Dracula and it crossed my mind, and it, 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 it kind of set with me when I saw it in the movie, and I don't know if it does for other viewers, but when Nadine explains to Linda how she kind of became a vampire and met Dracula, yeah. she, goes, she goes, it was 200 years ago during a war, and my town, you know, the entire town was being raped and pillaged and she was being attacked and Dracula was her hero. Yeah, Dracula saved her. She talks about, she goes, I don't remember if it was one or 200 years ago, the soldiers were raping people in the streets. I looked through the windows, I saw them. Uh, one came up to me and, and actually she was a virgin and that was her first time. She talks about being raped by one of the soldiers and Dracula came in and stabbed the soldier 
and leaned over to her and said, I could take away all your pain and worries and then basically bitter. And then she talks. And, and actually that, that part of her explaining is probably my favorite scene in the whole film because it's her monologue. And this is just her delivery. And she walks through and explains it all her pain and what she went through. And she right. goes, you know, I, after that I turned against men and, and this and that. And then she basically gave Dracula the last love of his life. And she, she basically explains that she was with Dracula and with Dracula. So it was kind of cool. And then she talks about how he changed her life and that she, and then about women and that, and then uh, now she was tired and, and all that. And, then, and she became fascinated with Linda, which, which was odd because Linda, like we were talking about is like the viewer just kind of plain. And that's one thing a lot of people will say is, well, why would she be fascinated with Linda? Like what makes her so fascinating, but it must be something that I guess only she sees, you know, I think Linda was too. She was a little bit maybe naive and innocent to it all and maybe didn't have that kind of cool vampire pizzazz yet, but yeah. maybe she'll be more becoming after she kind of, uh, you know, wears her, her new role. <laughs> and then there's also a, a, a German lobby card of uh, um, the Countess with Linda's boyfriend, and that scene's not in the movie, and he kind of talks about how he had about the countess in a scene and we don't see that scene and then the doctor says oh he's all right it'll pass and such so she either was with him or bit him and there's a scene of him laying naked on a bed looking up at her and she's standing over him and that scene is not in the movie at all so i don't know so maybe one day some of that footage will come out or i have no idea but that'd be interesting but that's the way with several franco films there's pictures either he took as publicity pictures or there are scenes that were cut, we don't know. But I've found that on a few things. Even on White Skin, Black Thighs, which is the most glaring, is there's three pictures on the cover, and two of the pictures are not even in the film. Yeah, wow. one is Franco kissing this woman, and he does not do that. To, and, this, and Franco's not even in the film, and on the cover he's kissing this woman, and the woman's completely naked. He's not even in the film. Oh, he's not even in the film, but he's kissed the woman who's completely naked on the cover of the DVD or of the Blu-ray, and it's it's great. It's oh, so comical. Oh, Franco. Yeah, and there's a picture of another actress naked on the cover. And she's not in the film, and the one that is on the cover has her back to the camera, looking away. So it's I don't know. Uh, what movie was that for? Uh, white skin, black thighs. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I know I'm gonna have to go look up that 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 cover after. after yeah, that. if you. Uh, Go on the Franco podcast uh, Instagram page. I put it on there or on the Facebook page. I definitely put that cover oh, on there. Show. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. You'll definitely see it on there. So, Oh, I love it. I love it. That's great. Well, cool. Well, um, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate you being on oh, the film, being on the show. Fun. That was fun. And uh, I hear that you have a copy of Jess Franco's Faceless. Oh. Or you uh, have access to it. Yes, I do. Um, I've not seen it, and that's one that I want to watch. Good. Well, I might be hitting you up soon, and maybe uh, we can watch that and uh, talk about that. Yeah, that one looks really cool. So, yeah, let's definitely chat about that one, too. Sounds good. Well, um, I hope you uh, had a good 2020 for what we all had to go through. Yeah. This episode is going to drop about the end of the year. So uh, probably around uh, December 30th, right around there. So. Um, so wishing everybody a happy new year and all that good stuff. And, uh, 
make let us all make many films and have good success and good luck in the year of 2021 2021 we're all legal now so let's all make it fun <laughs> all right and signing off Thank you.